You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek. I'm joined by... Kyle Newbeck and Rich Hoffman on the latest Sixers beat. Been a, been a little while since we had one of these, but then again, there's not been a whole lot to really talk about. We'll probably have a quick podcast today, then maybe one either later on in the week or early next week when the season is officially over. But how you guys doing? Surviving, man. Just trying to get through this this end of the season lull. Surviving. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Uh, we don't really have a whole lot to talk about in terms of in terms of news, although Ben Simmons did send out a checkmark, which, because of the way news is disseminated in 2017, we are assuming that means that his scan on his foot went well and that he is healed, but we don't actually have any confirmation on that. Well, if something does break while we're recording this podcast, we'll let you know. Source, Ben Simmons tweets is yeah. great. <laughs> uh, but we will let you know, and then you can... You can get that news two days later when you actually listen to this podcast. Um, but before that, we will do a quick, you know, kind of what our expectations were heading into the season and whether or not they were met, exceeded, disappointed, or whatnot. So I guess we'll just throw out the broad question and let you run wherever you want with it. How did this season go in terms of your expectations? Uh, well, Okay. Like you, like you mentioned, that's sort of a, a complicated question and answer there. But as far as team success, it, they were. I think they probably ended up exceeding what I thought they would do, at least in terms of win loss, because I knew that the, the talent was going to was going to be much better, assuming that people were healthy, despite guys not being that healthy. But you knew there were going to be the, the growing pains, especially. It, I, we went into the season expecting. One of the big storylines to be what is Ben Simmons' jumper like and how does that affect the team's play? And really that all went out the window once he was injured and it was all about Joel Embiid and how great he was. And he was sort of this galvanizing force that the franchise really took off once he was on the court. So I think we finally saw it was a success to me because we finally saw that, yes, if Joel Embiid is on the court, he is a franchise-altering player and a potential superstar. And because that's what this whole rebuild was all about, that by any measure, that's a success now that you've seen that and you know that for sure versus that just being an idea in your head based on scouting him in college games and so on and so forth. On the other hand, I don't know if I've ever felt more cynical or less trusting of the people making this, the decisions in terms of letting these guys play, whether they're they're healthy enough to play, what the timelines are, and just their, their general communication and prioritization of all those issues. And because they're building around a guy like Embiid who does have very obvious medical red flags in his his history – it makes me feel a little bit worse about the franchise moving forward than I might have. It makes me feel a little bit worse about Embiid's long-term health, not because I think he's any more or less prone to 
suffering injuries. Derek, I know you've written pieces about that, about how the the confidence variable really hasn't changed. From I think that that was a very astute point that it really shouldn't change all that much. It should probably hover in the same area, but my trust in the team to handle him correctly and really optimize his long-term future has, has taken a bit of a hit. So as far as what the team produced and my confidence in the talent that they have on hand, I'm feeling a lot better, but I am less certain. And I feel like it's, a, a, I don't want to say a failure, but I, they've taken a hit. And as far as my perspective on how they're going to manage all of this moving forward. I appreciate a, I appreciate calling it an astute point. I, Assure you, the next time the Harry's check comes in, you'll get a larger cut. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, it, it's really a hard question because I think you know along the same lines as what Kyle said. The players on the court, I think, probably took a step forward this year. Although you know that varies from guy to guy. The coach took a major step forward as far as his standing within the organization. Remember when he was? We we really thought he was on like on the edge. And ice, yeah. Yep, and and he was the biggest winner of the season, which you know might not be the greatest thing because you 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 obviously want that to be the players at some point. But for now, it's Brett Brown and the front office. I again, it's it's hard to judge. Like like, is it a failure when not a ton of stuff happened? Obviously, the Nerlens trade was was pretty significant. And then the the handling of all the injuries, but those could be temporary problems. But along those lines, like I think you have to say, I'm a little less confident in the front office after what we've seen this year. To maybe a good bit less confident. It's it's hard to exactly say. The the one thing though that I will say, and this is important, Joe Embiid I thought was going to be the rookie of the year this year. He wildly outperformed my expectations. He is. Absolutely awesome, and I mean, like like we said, you know, this whole time, like he's going to be a great player. The, the injuries are still a major concern, still a major concern. They never stop being a major concern. But I mean, this guy is clearly a top five player if he's healthy, and that's a that's a terrifying prospect considering the injuries at the same time. But it's something to be really excited about, and you know, I the Sixers just need to do everything in their power to get that guy healthy for next year. And uh, you know, try and get ten good years out of this guy because if they can do that, you know, we're we're talking about you know a championship level player to build around. Yeah, it's it's really weird because right on the other hand, you can go up and down the roster from players who maybe aren't even really all that re- relevant long term to players who are extremely relevant long term, and every one of them outperformed our preseason expectations. Like really, they did. You can go from Embiid to Covington, to Dario, to TJ, to Rashawn, to Luau, all these guys. Every one of them, to a T, outperformed expectations. But yet, by the same token, a lot of the same thoughts of, well, shit, man, this can be taken away from us in a second. In one landing, one awkward landing, uh, one turn of an ankle, one, one whatever, this could all go away. And between Simmons and Embiid and the way both of those were handled, you're still left in that weird you know, state. So I think clearly what Rich said uh, about Brett Brown, I mean, I feel a thousand times more confident. In it. Like We always talk about Brett being a great player development guy, but you went up and down and with the exception of Covington's defense. You know, There wasn't a whole lot of players really taking their game to the next level. 
And a lot of that you could say, well, you know, how many players had the talent to really go to another level? And I think this year, as we've seen him get more and more, you know, real NBA-level talent, or at least NBA-level youth, he has made a lot of strides with a lot of these people, and that's great. And no stride bigger than Joel Embiid, who, you know, like Rich said, for as lofty of expectations as we had, he is a completely different player than he was at Kansas. So I think, I think, I mean, I think both Embiid and Brown and the staff get credit for that. It's just, man, if, if, if it would have been 61 games instead of 31 games, this, and, and if Ben Simmons didn't, you know, come down on his foot the way he did, Sean Long's foot, thanks, Sean. Good couple of weeks, but, you know, you're, you're going to have a hard time living that one down. If those two things didn't happen, I think the city would be on cloud nine. Because then all these little things that we talk about, the TJs, the Covingtons, oh, that's not really little, but little in comparison, the Sharches, the Holmes, they all become, you know, bonus. They all, like, that's, that's gravy. And you just hope that, you know, in six months, eight months, ten months, we're not talking about injuries anymore. I mean, we will because it's impossible. Um, but we're not at least talking about setbacks. We're not talking about people missing games. And we can start appreciating the little things. And I, like, I really do think that a lot of the Sixers fans, at least the ones who stuck through it, uh, and, and, and really, you know, after February 20, whatever, when you found out Embiid and Simmons were done for the year, the ones who stuck through it, I think they were rewarded with some, not necessarily wins of late, but some players who have made some real strides. But I just, I, I hope we can be happy without qualification next year. Yeah, well, and one thing that I was thinking about listening to what you guys said, we talk about this pretty often as far as trade negotiations and stuff, but first-round picks in many, in almost all cases, even top three picks like Joel Embiid was a couple years ago, their value is highest before the draft picks are made. Once it's a tangible player, it goes from, oh, wow, you have a, a chance at getting a superstar to – okay, you have Aaron Gordon or you have who have like Dante Axum or some guy who's taken in the draft that, yeah, these guys can be contributors for your team. But in most cases, they're not turning out to be the type of superstar that you would ideally want from that that caliber of pick or, or from a, a pick at all if you're in the, the lottery. But Joel Embiid, from what we saw this year, he is like exactly the type of player that – Injuries aside, of course, which is a big aside, um, that's exactly what you're hoping. Like, I don't think as, as much as his injuries has have impacted a lot of people's confidence, and I I don't think his value has gone down. And I would say in other ways, his value has increased at least to the Sixers. Like, can you imagine if they were so scared off by all this stuff that they decided to? to trade him this summer despite what they had already seen, there would be a fucking mutiny in this town if they ever ever considered that because if he ever went somewhere else and and blossomed the way that we think he can, or even if he just maintained the level of play that he showed this year and was able to play the, the type of workload that a normal NBA player would do, that, like Rich said, that's a top five player in the league. That's a, a guy who can be a – a defensive player of the year, an MVP type candidate, a guy that you build your franchise around. And so like after all this time, after some misses in the draft, stacking up big men over and over again for a few years in a row, just hoping one of them would hit and protecting yourself against the injuries for guys that you selected, you finally have seen there is a guy to anchor the franchise to. And yes, it's, uh, it's certainly scary that, that 
you're dealing with those health concerns still and that they're not in the rearview mirror like you might have hoped. But just to be able to have that to hold on to is, even if you wouldn't consider it a success given the surrounding context, I think a lot of fans, a lot of people who have bought into this this dramatic rebuilding process last few years, it's almost like a sigh of relief, like, man, finally we have we have some reason to really keep keep believing that they're on a the the upward trajectory. Yeah, and just as far as getting through the season, I mean Derek, the last last few before the last few games when we were eating in the media room before the game, there wasn't a whole lot going on. We we were kind of dicking around because there really wasn't a ton of stuff going on as far as important on court, you know, development or anything. But it was just the last few games. Like at, in December last year, it felt like that. Yeah. And at least then we had Embiid to chase around the court, though. That's true. That's, that's pretty true. much what we did. We ran around with a, a video recorder and watched Embiid and get sixty thousand views on YouTube yeah. because. <laughs> he was treated sort of like Bigfoot. They, uh, it, it just they weren't a laughing stock for they weren't treated as a laughing stock for the entire year, and that made it a lot more enjoyable to get through because you know over these last couple of years they were just the butt of everybody's jokes, whether that was national writers talking heads on ESPN or even late night hosts were were making fun of the Sixers. Having MB presidential candidates. Yes, of course. John Kasich. He got a <laughs> I don't know if this is even public, but Max kind of maybe tweeted a dig at him from the Sixers account by accident last year. Uh and and drew him into it. Yeah, and that I'm sure that got Ernie Johnson's vote. So <laughs> they they just weren't I mean with MB they were cool. And and the building was really exciting. It, the shame of it all was that that Houston game in January. It's a random regular season game. There's nothing special about it except it was on national TV, and they were playing, you know, a good team with an MVP candidate, James Harden. The building was rocking that night. It was yeah. sold out. People were into it, and of course, Embiid was awesome, despite you know probably playing on a torn meniscus. It was still awesome, and yeah, it just. It was a much more enjoyable season to get through until the very end, until it all came crashing down. But, God, like, especially last year, it was such a slog in January. I mean, there was nothing going on. God, we were arguing about whether Jaleel Okafor and Nerlens Noel could play together, and we weren't really arguing about it because we all knew the answer was no. We didn't <laughs> know if those guys were good. There was just a lot, you know, there was there was a credibility that this team had this year. And from that standpoint, like, as far as the the PR and, you know, I mean, Sam Hinkie got fired in large part because of, of the PR surrounding the team, whether that was fair or not. They seem to have gotten that stigma away from them, which is a good thing for sure. Do you remember when the draft came around and they won the lottery and we were like, yes, we have two months to debate Ingram versus Embiid. And then we had our first post, post-lottery podcast and we all agreed and thought it wasn't even a... Uh, even a discussion, we're like, well, fuck. Now what are we gonna do? That was our content for two months. But yeah, it was. Uh, we were we were making up stuff to talk about for sure. Well, hopefully we can make some stuff up to talk about during this draft. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, what happens is you have. Well, first of all, if you don't get the number one pick, there's gonna be a lot of debate. 
Yeah. Uh, but if you get two picks, that's a lot of room for debate. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping that this year – I mean, look, last year we found stuff to talk about. But it was definitely – I definitely remember being very excited that we would have the chance to uh, to debate the number one pick. and Because before before the lottery, it felt like there was actual diverging of opinions. And then the lottery got here and we're like, yeah, it's some, and it was minor disappointment. But I don't want to complain about getting the number one pick in the draft. Uh, but I definitely thought we were going to have more debates about that. Uh, well, so I want to bring his name up since he hasn't really come up yet, and it's been very Embiid-centric. You got an emoji. Well, no, not even that. Not that surprise, okay. curveball. Um, we'll get to that later, but we have to talk. If, if Ben Simmons tweets an emoji, we have to talk about yeah. it. No, sure. the, we haven't the even really brought up Dario Saric yet. I know, I mean, we've been waiting for him for years, too, and I think part of the reason, which you guys just talked about, why it hasn't been – as much of a slog down the stretch here since Embiid went down and the, the team's aspirations sort of went down with him is because Dario has been – he had a, a couple months stretch there where he was way better than I ever could have expected him to be at, at any point during his rookie season here, let alone after you would have thought he had long hit the rookie wall. And I, I think he certainly has run out of gas here. He's dealing with the plantar fasciitis here down in the last few games. But seeing him being able to step into such a big role and really have the offense run through him for long stretches of time once Embiid went down was, was really encouraging. And I think that's the difference between the last few years and this year, or one of the big differences anyway, was when they had the inevitable – injury or, or downturn from their their future piece or one of their best players, Saric sort of stepped in and, and filled that void and gave the fans something to hold on to. And I think there were, he in Kyle, some ways was he, even more divisive than Embiid the last couple of years because a lot of the chatter from the talking heads outside of the city who didn't pay a lick of attention to anything that he had said publicly after being drafted was, oh, he's never coming over. He's going to come three years and he's going to be on the the mid-level instead of being on the rookie contract. And just to have him come here and just prove so many different things wrong, including that, yeah, the kid can play a little bit, I think was a a big emotional lift for a lot of the, the people who are the biggest diehards following this team. Kyle, he has been so good. Jerry Colangelo even knows his name. It's crazy. Uncle remember, Jerry, all the way out in Phoenix on, on his Skype connection. Do you remember still Jer- watching Dario? Jerry at one point was like, you know, and then there's that guy in Turkey. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> or that overseas kid. I forget exactly what it was, but he didn't even, didn't even mention him by name. Hey, Grand Canyon University just got a big recruit from overseas, I saw. so oh, Emily, the, the school shall that shall not be named for me. They're like the Voldemort of, <laughs> of Sixers world. Under Dan Marley, getting it done out there. Yeah. They, uh, no, Dario was absolutely the MVP. When, like, when everybody was dropping flies around him, in the second half when the Sixers roster was – yeah, it was pretty barren. It was basically just him and Covington before, of course, he also tore his meniscus, and you know, which was seemed like it was inevitable. The, uh, Dario stepped up into a bigger role, and not only – I mean, it, it was pretty amazing to see him get so much more responsibility. So, of, of course, his numbers, like his counting stats are going to increase, but the quality of his play also increased by a good bit. And, yeah, that was definitely encouraging to see. 
And it just it just validated the decision that Sam Hinkie made a few years ago to say, hey, we're not going to take the guy who you saw play Villanova a few times just because he'll be here this year. <laughs> And we're gonna we're gonna take the guy who we think is the best player, and if we have to wait a few years, that's fine. Because, you know, sitting here right now, who would you rather have? It's pretty clear you'd rather have Dario Sarch. So I mean, yeah, just everything about him's been fun. I mean, he's just a first off, he's a fun personality. Just to you know, just to see him mess around with T.J. McConnell and and see them sort of fight, and, and him sort of become uh become assimilated to American culture. And also the NBA game. It's just been he's been a lot of fun, and obviously uh, he's going to play all 82 games here, assuming he uh, he suits up tomorrow. I, I I would just advise to him take a few weeks off, man. You know, like y- you earned it. And uh, yeah, he's obviously not as important as Embiid, but it seems like he's a keeper, and that's that's a great thing to get from the 12th pick in the draft. Yeah. Yeah, you guys, you guys said it all. He's been terrific, um, and you're right. He was so inefficient to start the season coming off the bench with a well a combination of coming off the bench and starting, but with a much lower role, regardless of whether he started or not. And then he threw him a bigger role, and his efficiency went up, which is usually usually not the case. It will be interesting to see how he reacts to going back to the bench if he does. Brett Brown did mention a starting a potential starting lineup, or at least a lineup that intrigued him last night. That included Simmons, Bayless. Uh, Covington, Charge, and Embiid. So we'll see if they carry through with that and, and how he would work in that kind of a lineup. But you do wonder if, uh, you know, there's going to be a little bit of adjustment when he doesn't have the ball quite as much there was when he went over to FS to play with them. So I assume he'll have another adjustment as well. But as long as that shot comes around, he's still going to be a very, very useful and very valuable player. Everything, like I said, everything, the important players have played better than expected. It's just that ever-looming, uh, ever-looming, Injury uncertainty that's hanging over the team. But that's uh, what you get when you draft 7-2 big men with bad feet and bad backs. So we shall yeah. see. One one other thing I wanted to add on Dario real quick. I, I think the most encouraging thing to me that we saw this year was my big question mark for him coming in was because of his athletic limitations, was he going to be able to use that sort of I guess you could describe it as like an old man's game that he used overseas. It's one thing over there because you're playing against guys who are not as big or not as athletic. So you can get away with using the, a series of pump fakes and just sort of playing that bully ball. And I, I know Brett likes to call it he's a bull in a china shop in the post. And I, I didn't know if you could necessarily do that at the NBA level. And I'm and still skeptical he can do it with at a high level of efficiency. But he certainly showed that he can do it at a proficient enough level that he can be a, an absolute contributor for this team. So I thought that was that was an important question that he needed to answer. And I think he, for me, he pretty much already has. Well, I mean, what I was, what I was going to say through 51 games this year, that answer was a, a pretty resounding, at the very least, not yet, uh, yeah. because he was he was really struggling uh, both inside and outside of the arc, and uh, athleticism did seem like it was getting in his way. Now the question comes, is 31 games enough to really prove that or at least put that fully to rest? And probably not. The tough thing with rookies is that, you know, if a 10-year vet has a two-month stretch where he shoots better than expected, you go, oh, he's having a two-month stretch where he's shooting better than expected. When a rookie does it, you assume improvement. Uh, or at the very least, if not improvement, you assume that he's acclimating himself, that he's getting used to the speed and athleticism of the NBA game. And there are sides that I think weigh both 
too heavily. Like there are sides that will dismiss improvement late in the rookie year, and I think that's I think that's you know a little bit naive to be honest, because I think it's like to, to say that there's not a huge uh, that you really have to get acclimated. That there's not a huge adjustment. I think would be silly. But I do think sometimes we can dismiss the the possibility that he's just having a good too much stretch as well. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But even so, even if he's not a great finisher inside, even if whatever rate he's doing it at right now, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but even if that's not a sustainable rate, it can still be better than it was to start the season, and he can still be a very useful contributor if that jump shot does come around. And Brett was very, very clear that that jump shot is a huge priority, and he was also very clear that he thinks with a tweak here or there that he has a lot to work with and that he's anything but a non-shooter, which is something I agree with. So, you know, hopefully, like Rich says, he takes two to three weeks off, gets his feet back under him, comes back in the gym, and, you know, he doesn't have to be running five-on-five constantly, but gets a lot of shots up and gets a lot of shots up from the NBA range. I don't know exactly. Does anybody know what his summer um, commitments are? Like, does he have any international commitments this year that we know uh, of? I, I, didn't, I didn't look at it. I think, I think I don't, he might, actually. I, you know, again, I might have just seen, seen this in passing, but I – isn't it a isn't Eurobasket every other year? Like, the, don't they have something every year? Those European teams, they, they have Eurobasket, and then they have the Olympics, and then they have the World Cup. You know, so in alternate years, I think there's a chance he might be deciding to play in that for Croatia this we year. We need to get that man a summer off. Uh, yeah. Okay. So there is a Eurobasket was last in 2015, so that means there will be one this summer, if I remember correctly, but. Yeah, I, my hope would be I'm sure that Dario will end up playing because that's just sort of the guy that he is. That's it's just hard, his personality. But. It's hard to take his competitiveness and say we like that when he's playing for us but not when he's playing for Croatia. Right. Like, that seems like a tough thing to do, but I think at some point it would really help him to get get a couple months where he's off his feet somewhat. Well, wouldn't this – I mean, doesn't Eurobasket have to do with qualifying for the World Cup, though? So that's like the problem. Like you can't just tell him like – Hey, take a summer off and then play in the more important tournament next year because they kind of need them if they if they really want to qualify for the bigger event. Yeah, and Croatia is not something like Spain where you can say, "Okay, you're yeah. you're one of our best players, but go sit down." It doesn't work like that. Well, if he played, Bogdanovic could take every shot. Then that w- that would be cool. I mean, let's be honest, Rich. It'd be like He's the pass at the, every shot anyway. It'd be like the pass at the Tucker offense from Hey Arnold if, for for anybody <laughs> of a certain oh my age. God. They uh. It would, <laughs> Yeah, um, but I do think – I mean, he's got a lot of pride in playing for the Croatian team. So I, I actually do – I'm not a 1,000% sure, but I'm pretty sure he's playing for them this summer. I would hope he spends at least, you know, the rest of April generally off his feet wherever he is, though. That is definitely the first Hey Arnold reference we have had on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. It's in my mind. I, I don't exactly know why. All right, there's too much positivity going on. So obviously, like – we didn't even get the Covington and how good his defense is, and Rashawn not making me rethink the Nerlens trade, but at least sort of softening the blow. I think a little bit with how well he's played recently. Here's my here's my question. So, moving forward, what is your biggest fear when it comes to the front office? Like trades, trades. Is it okay? So, would you say like Kyle's report a few weeks ago, like the Paul George trade, saying that? they would be okay giving up a major asset for Paul George when there's no guarantee that he'd sign here? Is it something like that? Or is it the Chris Dunn reported trade last year? Is it? Is there anything specific? I mean, it is mostly based off of his history. And a lot of the trades 
that were done to bring in complimentary pieces in Toronto. But a guy like Paul George, I don't want to say I'm okay with an overpay, but I can at least be talked into an overpay on a guy like that because of how close I think he would get this team to like actually being relevant. So I don't think it's so much a concern about that, but it's, you know, I, I guess I probably spoke a little too quickly. It, it, it's more based off of Toronto. <laughs> like, I, I just can't get to think of Toronto out of my out of my mind. Um, uh, well, in fairness, some of those trades are really stunk, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, I, I can't. So, like, there, there's obviously the, the Nerland situation, and I don't think, you know, Rich brought it up, but it doesn't matter how Rashawn plays. I still don't like the way that was handled. So there's there's that. But outside of that, I do, like, most of the concerns I had about Colangelo heading in, they haven't really come out to be true. So it's I almost want to give him the benefit of the doubt just a little bit. And even though the Nerland situation is, you could argue, the most relevant, and certainly the most recent, the overall collective has been positive, and I think, I, I, I think has gone against most of the concerns I had last summer. So I don't... E- you know, I don't have right now the biggest, you know, I, I guess what I'm looking at, a lot of times you're in a situation where you don't have the assets to get the Paul Georges or the Jimmy Butlers. So the trades, you have to be really realistic about what you're getting and what that's going to add to your team. But the Sixers have so many different avenues they can go down, so many different roads they can explore, that I, there's. I, I look at the draft and I see ways to, you know, really move the program forward in the draft. And I look at trades and I feel like Brett Brown's saying program. But I look at I look at trades, and they have so many assets they can move that even if they overpay for a really good guy, the, the, the team's in a really good spot going forward. So I think you're beyond where he was in Toronto just because you're talking about much better people to bring in. You're not talking about the Jermaine O'Neal's of the world and the guys who are past their prime, and you're desperate can fit in with you know your star to make him stay. Like we're not we're not talking about that situation. So I'm hopeful that his track record would be more like Phoenix and Toronto, but, you know, we'll see. We're obviously going on so little information. So would you say that, yeah, I think you put it this way earlier this season when we were sort of talking about last offseason, Derek. Would you still say it's, you know, it's almost like it it would be unfair to give him a grade because he barely took one pop quiz, you know? It's not like he's done anything of, of, like, value, good or bad. Yeah, that, that really has any lasting long-term effects, except you know maybe the Nerlens trade. Well, and but, and the Ben Simmons trade, but like I said, you don't you don't get too many points for me from signing your name on the SAT. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, if Rich, if you want, if you have a, if you want to go by all I, means. I don't really have a long point. I, I guess this is just a something that that I just thought about. You know, there's so many questions about the medical staff, and obviously, like. I don't really like talking about that that much because, like, we don't know exactly what's going on back there, and I'm not sure we'll ever know. And, like, you know, the, the answer might be just that all of their guys got hurt and they have a bunch of injury-prone players, and that can happen sometimes. We're all waiting for the Ned Cohen tell-all book. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But I guess the, the weird thing is that Colangelo was there in Phoenix when, like, their training staff has always been considered, like, Right. You know, almost, almost like wizards, wizards, yeah, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess that that sort of just hit me that it's it's kind of funny that Brian Colangelo, who I, I, I'm pretty sure I don't know how much say he had in hiring those guys, but I'm sure he had some because he was there the whole time. Is is now the leading a team 
that is just their their medical staff is just under siege from all basically getting, you know, laughed at from pretty much everywhere around the NBA. Yeah, yeah it's just like so 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 that we're not focusing too intently on the medical staff with this criticism. I think the the biggest and I brought this up at the beginning, but the reason I would be concerned not just about who they have making those decisions and informing their decisions there, but the both the optics and just the results of it, it makes it seem like they bent to public whims a little bit. Like that the game against the Rockets that in or Joel's whims looks like nothing more than right. But if in fact they they knew enough about his knee there that that they knew about the meniscus, they know about the bone bruise, all that. There's no absolutely no way he should be playing in that game. And they have to be an organization that's going to say, look, you are more hurt than you probably realize, and you're not going to play. We need to get you reevaluated. We have to assess options as far as treatment. You can't just – it's it just looks so – it's so lackadaisical and, and just – it's a bad look for the organization any way you want to spin it. And that sort of stuff really concerns me because – that like, we went into last season expecting like they're going to do things that might end up being negative things that are going to be more about serving their image rather than being the best thing for the team. And that didn't really come to fruition in terms of the trades they made, the type of offseason signings they made. They didn't, they didn't overspend really. They didn't bring in the type of players who were going to, to take roles and minutes away from young players for the most part. And they were they had a, a pretty good draft, as we sit here today. Might end up being a really good draft when we have a couple more years to judge it. But the way that they handled that Embiid thing, and I know that he obviously has his say there, that is still that might end up being like the, the canary in the coal mine where it's like, well, I, I just, I don't, that might have been the first sign of, trouble there that they were more concerned with the optics there that oh we want to have our our star rookie on tv and we'll sort of let him make that decision rather than exerting our influence and saying hey we really need to be more patient with this and you're too important to us to i I, that would be the thing that i'm most concerned about is that they're they're too concerned with things that are outside of their control, how people view them. Look, if a guy's hurt, a guy's hurt. You got to deal with it. You can't sit there and say, well, this is the, the, the context is important. We got to look good for ESPN and everybody else. Like, I don't want that to be the way the organization is run. And, and they shouldn't want that to be the way the organization is run. They have to make decisions that serve their long-term interests the best. And playing a potential superstar when he's hurt and allow him to – expose himself to even further risk of injury is just not good. The Houston game, yeah, I mean, we, we've we talked about the medical staff, and, you know, th- despite what I said about, like, you know, being a little bit reticent to criticize them, the, the evidence on that Houston game is, you know, it's it's pretty overwhelming that he probably shouldn't have been playing that night and almost definitely shouldn't have been playing. Yeah, and look, we might not know who to blame, but ultimately, I mean, look, it's a department that's under the jurisdiction of Brian Colangelo and under his purview. So he, you know, if he's going to take credit for the Sun staff that he built, and like Rich said, like you would assume that he had some role in that, well, he has some role in this decision-making as well, so he's got to take these lumps. 
And I guess ultimately you just hope that they learn from them and don't make the same mistakes again. But freaking Christ, that is our franchise player. Don't make that mistake with him ever. It's uh, <laughs> it's it, it was tough. And the fact that we don't know who exactly to pin the blame on or exactly how much blame to pin on because we're not privy to the medical information doesn't take away from the fact that I, it, it would be very hard to convince me that there was a mistake made. So, yes, I agree with you. Uh, well, and I will say, I was at that Houston game. Jerry Colangelo was about 10 rows behind me at that game, just sort of sitting in the crowd anonymously. So I don't think he's down. I don't, at least I haven't spotted him down there at the games very often. And if this, like, not to get all too conspiracy theory here, but he clearly wanted to be there for because they're on national TV. And you think he wanted to show up to that game and get interviewed in a game that Embiid's not playing in and they're getting blown out? I don't think so. I don't think he's that kind of guy. So you can connect whatever dots you want to. I just think there are a lot of that game in particular and just the the sort of thought process that it takes to to do something like that. That That's not going to sit well with me really ever, let alone while we're still dealing with Embiid recovering from the injury that he was playing through during that game. Yeah, Jerry Colangelo, Kevin Hart, M. Night Shyamalan was in the house that night. I don't know. I, Cranston was probably there earlier that week. They uh, they started to get some celebs this year, too, which was pretty cool. I'll be interested Rich to see Hoffman. what... Oh, yeah, I mean... No more Nicki Minaj, though, since she <laughs> broke up with uh, with Meek. She might want to. She might want to get back. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. But uh, <laughs> but if they get good, uh, I think uh, going to the games with me. I mean, Meek Mill was obviously there a bunch too. I think uh, you get some FaceTime on national TV for big games. I, I think she's good on the the publicity front, but I could <laughs> be wrong. I don't know, man. I don't know this. What you kids are listening to these days, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think she's definitely okay with that. But uh, before the season, and, and we were all too lazy to go back and check our preseason predictions, did any of us, none of us had him at 28 wins, right? Like, there's no way. I probably, well, I, I had not, high not end, this. I would have, if, if I had gone high end, I might have said 25, and I don't even know if I went that high. I think I said 20. Yeah, I think I, I think I was, after the Simmons news, I think I was in the mid-20s. I'd have to, have to double check, and I'm too lazy for that. But, yeah, I mean, for them to win 28 games, when Embiid played in 31 and Simmons played in zero. Like we said, the real winner, Brett Brown, the guys who have developed, it really is startling after an 0-7 start. And now so far an 0-7 finish. You take take those two out and they're almost a 500 team in the middle there. So hopefully they can they can build on that. But it's just, it's so tough with the injuries. But anything else you really want to bring up here? Or, I mean, like I said, we're going to do another one of these when we have, they have, I think, players talking on Thursday for the end of season stuff and then, and then Brett Brown and I don't know if Colangelo and or Harris are talking on Friday, but if they do, that would probably be the day. So we'll probably have another one of these then for reactions. Uh, maybe maybe give some awards, most improved, MVP, that kind of stuff. But any real thoughts on you know just the expectations going in? Uh, well, so I do want to say we didn't give it a specific shout-out despite the fact that we, we praised okay. Embiid a lot, but... The defense this year when Embiid was on the court was just absolutely spectacular. And part of that was the improvement of a guy like Robert Covington, which was 
I don't know that I ever would have expected him to make the leap he did as a defender. I certainly hope for him to take strides, but he was just flat out phenomenal this year. And I, we've said, I've said this before, but think he deserves real consideration for all, all defense this year at the end of the year. I know it's tough sledding there, but at least deserves a look. Um, but for the team to, in their most played five man lineup, which I believe was, Embiid, McConnell, Covington, Ilyasova, and Nick Stauskas, believe it or not, they had a defensive rating of 90 as a group, which is just, that would be by far the best defense in the NBA if it was played at any sort of extended minutes. And if you can, so if Embiid is there, if Covington is there, and you add in some other guys who are more defensively minded, this team can be an absolutely elite defense going forward as long as all the, the key players can remain on the court. And that I know that Brett Brown, that's been a, a point of emphasis for him the whole time he's been here. But the fact that they finally really turned that corner for an extended stretch this year, was that was very encouraging for me. Yeah, I mean, in... I mean, I still think in the you know 800 or so minutes when Embiid played, I still think they have... What would be the best defensive rating in the league in that time? I mean, that's a in in January insane. they were they were playing at a championship point differential. <laughs> yeah. Like no, but I mean, they I were, mean, that was fifteen games. It's not insignificant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and when he played, I mean, it was only you know it was only like three hundred minutes when he played, or maybe even a little less. But I mean, it, it was above championship level. I think the Warriors are like you know around like a thirteen fourteen net rating. They were an eighteen net rating with Joel Embiid on the floor. The Sixers. I, I mean, these are you know I, I, again we talked about these guys taking strides. These guys are not championship caliber players. That's how good Joel Embiid is. They were doing this with T.J. McConnell, who I mean, it's. I mean, we would freak out about a net rating in the past when like you a player would go a season and only be like a negative three. You'd be like, holy shit, do you see how much better they were when he was on the court? To right. be in the positive is insane. It, like Sixers Sixers fans don't have players in the positive. No. It, I mean, it, it almost got to the point where you never thought you were going to see a player in the positive again. It was sort of, <laughs> it was sort of like... Uh, Sort of like seeing the sun for the first time in forever. Like it was like, whoa! Like I, I didn't realize that this could happen. But I mean, that's just the type of presence that Embiid is. Two hundred and forty minutes in January, they were a plus sixteen with a ninety-one defensive rating. Ugh! In two hundred and forty, yeah, it was insane. It was insane. It, it, every time I go back and I look at the numbers in January, I just get really depressed over what happened in February, March, and April, because I wanted another three months of that. I wanted to at least trick ourselves into a playoff run. Uh, you, you still get a top seven or eight pick because of the Kings. It was all lining up. Instead, we're going to have to enjoy Markel Fultz. Buddy, if they get Markel Fultz, <laughs> I'm going to start planning the parade. I don't know about you. Have you seen, by the way, Markel Fultz going on a tour of all the uh, East Bad Coast teams. terrible teams that, that could <laughs> could make a pick? He saw First off, he saw the Sixers get absolutely drilled by the Nets, and then he, he got to see the triangle offense up close get get destroyed by Toronto. I uh, he, he hasn't seen the greatest basketball in the world down the stretch here. Well, it's being an East not. Coast guy, uh, you know, he is a, you know, from Maryland. Being an East Coast guy, he gets the benefit of seeing all the teams that are likely to draft him and the downside of seeing all the teams <laughs> that are likely to draft him. 
We were cracking up the other night. He was just sitting courtside, and nobody knew who he was. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Rich and I were just uh, – to be fair, at first I glanced because he's wearing a hat. He was kind of behind his friend, and I'm glancing because we knew he was supposed to be there. I think Jake Pavorsky reported it. And I'm like, hey, have you seen him yet? And he points, and he's like, he's right there. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I, I see him now. But then we just sat there and, like, watched for a good 20 to 30 minutes. And he's right. Like, people came up and sat next to him. Like, they, their seats were next to him, and they had no idea. No idea. It was it was funny. Well, I mean, and these were these were dudes in, like, Sixers jerseys. Yeah, it was in These the did not jersey. look like casual fans by any means. Well, and so let me just make a quick point off of that real quick. I think part of that is, and a lot of people won't admit this, and the only reason why it's even close, why people have tried to debate that Fultz isn't the number one guy this year, is because very few people actually watched him play because his team was so bad. I, okay. I, I honestly believe that that's a thing. Like, well, I mean, nobody wants to watch that. But they were a garbage team, despite the fact that they had who I think is head and shoulders the best prospect. But because they're so bad and because they play on the West Coast and their games are on, it was not always easy to find their games versus some other some other guys like the Kentucky guys are on ESPN constantly. I really think that there are not a lot of people out there that have actually watched that kid play extended minutes. Yeah, well, I mean, the team was bad. They were on the West Coast. They weren't on national TV all that much. They didn't play in any tournaments. Like, there's a lot of reason that his profile was really low. But still, if you're... If you're a big enough fan that you have an Embiid jersey and you're buying courtside seats, you know maybe maybe you look up the number one prospect in the draft that you hope to get. It was <laughs> it was a little bit surprising. Um, I guess we didn't really talk all that much about Ben Simmons' checkmark. I think we did briefly mention it. We'll probably talk about it when uh, we get some actual information on what that checkmark means. We can certainly all speculate that he's been cleared, but and I did send out a couple of texts while this went on, but nothing has been responded to. No statement from the team, so. Like I said, we'll probably do another one of these podcasts towards the end of the week and or over the weekend. But thank you guys for hopping on, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. See you guys. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. 